years I've walked these many miles. I've aged my hands, bruised my feet. Pressing my pen to the paper, leaving a legacy that I did not intend. In our truest character, I don't believe we intend to be great. Our minds waver with fear that our heart is not capable of great things. What is our potential as heroes? Will we be people that run away from the fire or toward it? destination may be unknown, but my path is set. My journey is fixed on one direction. Forward. Maybe it's that very thing that defines us as legends. The hero of our stories. Above all else, our desire. Our hope should now and always be to move forward. Hey, uh, we're on week six. We're wrapping up this series called Legend. But as we do that, I just want to do a huge shout out for Santan and our Scottsdale campus. Last night... Uh, both of those campuses held their Harvest Festival. And every report that I'm getting back is that they just did an amazing job. And, and hundreds, if not thousands of people came into contact, not just with Cornerstone as a church, but with our Jesus. And, and you get that in that moment, and what happened out at Santan and what happened at Scottsdale is that people who would have never walked onto a church campus for a sermon series bumped into Christians behaving like Christians and figured out that we're only half as weird as they thought we were before they came. Which the cool part about that is the next time they get a mailer, the next time they see a bumper sticker going down the road, the next time a friend says, hey, why don't you come for that series? They are now more inclined because they'll say, you know what, I've met some of those Cornerstone people and they really weren't that bad. I, maybe I could come in the room for the conversation. You realize that what happened last night is that Santan and Scottsdale tilled soil to make it softer in order to plant seed for Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, those guys, you guys out there at Santan, you guys, you guys are heroes. And I want the Chandler campus to applaud what they've done, because that's totally cool for them to do that. Very cool. Chandler campus, you and I are going to do this in about five days. Friday night, we're going, to, we're going to try to do what they've already done in front of us. Okay, so here's the deal. We're finishing up a series that we've called Legend. And the reality, this series has really been a study in the life of a, of a guy by the name of Paul. And the reason we've gone that direction and done a survey kind of out of the Bible book of Acts is that Paul is probably the most remarkable Christian to ever walk the face of the earth. What he does, the way that he follows Jesus, is so beyond what any of us has ever seen or experienced. You realize this guy is the reason that the early church explodes across the world. If it had been left up to the other disciples, we would just have one big mother church in Jerusalem. And Paul said, no way. And he goes into every single town he can go into and plants a church. 
This guy ends up just absolutely beat up for the name of Christ. He ends up beat with rods. He ends up thrown in, out of towns. He ends up stoned for the name of Jesus Christ. Not with the drug part, the real stone part. He ends up all sorts of abuse. He ends up thrown in jail. Being thrown in jail can't stop him. He sits down while he's in jail and writes the vast majority of what we have as the New Testament, spelling out tons of our doctrine and faith. And then they go and behead the guy. So he dies for the cause of Christ. And I'm just, guys, we're just talking about a guy, probably the most legendary follower of Jesus Christ ever. And so what you and I have been asking in this moment is to say, okay, whoa, 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 Paul, what did you know that we don't know? And, and what decisions did you make in order to live such a remarkable, incredible life that we need to make a similar decision in our life? And, and what were the critical moments when, when things could have gone either way? And how did you know which way to go, Paul? Because if we could understand that, there's a chance. There's a chance we could live a pretty remarkable life for Jesus Christ. And at the end of the day, that's what our hearts are longing for. So Paul, would you show us, would you teach us, and then would we have the courage to do what you did in your legendary life? It's an interesting moment because as we come to the end here, Paul's gonna take a moment, he knows he's getting ready to die, and he turns to his protege, he turns to the young guy that he's been kind of raising up in ministry behind him, a young man by the name of Timothy. And in that moment, he basically just says, look, 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 Timothy, if you haven't caught any other lesson, if you haven't understood anything else I told you, let, let me tell you the thing, the most important thing, the thing that will change everything for you. If you don't get anything else right in your life, get this right, because this is the golden nugget. It's interesting, this last week, I got invited into a room of pastors. So they invited 20, 25 of the largest church pastors in the Phoenix area to go up kind of to Flagstaff and hang out with a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. Anybody know who Bill Hybels is? Okay, three of us, that's good, all right. Uh, so you need to know this, because Bill Hybels is kind of the Peyton Manning of pastors. This guy has led a ministry in Chicago called Willow Creek that is just off the hook. And the things he has done in leadership, the things he has done to move that church forward, the questions that he has pushed into Christianity that has caused all the rest of us to think, you and I all who him a debt of gratitude. And we ended up with the opportunity for a day to go sit at his feet and pick his brain. And so here we are, all huddled around asking questions. And in the middle of the questions, a 40-year-old guy uh, raised his hand, and here's what he said to Bill Hybels. Bill, if you could go back in time and you could talk to 40-year-old Bill, what would you tell him? Now, you realize it's just a fancy way of saying, Bill, 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 what is it that we should be asking you that we're too stupid to ask? What is it, what is it that we don't even understand enough to form? That what's, what's the most important thing that we haven't even figured out how to ask you about the most important thing? Give us the nugget. That is the moment. That is the moment that you and I are going to peek in today. It's Paul delivering the nugget. And here, here's the interesting thing. Here's what he's going to say. You ready? Live your life with the end in mind. Live every single day of your life knowing that your life will end. And when you get to the end, when the people stand at your grave, what do you want them to say? 
about your life. When you walk through those pearly gates and stand in front of Jesus Christ, what do you want him to say at the end of your life? And he's going to say, live every day of your life for the end of your life. Grab your Bibles, and we'll get there. It's 2 Timothy. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of 2 Timothy. If you get to 1 Timothy, you've gone too far. I had to go to seminary to learn that. If you get to 3 Timothy, you've got the wrong Bible. Okay? So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, this is Paul talking to the young man that he's raised up, the guy he's handing the baton to, and in this moment he's saying, okay, look, look, Timothy, if you forget everything else I've told you, if you didn't learn any lessons that I gave you, get this one right. This is it. This is the most important thing I have to say. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, here's what it says. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Look, I get, I, I'm done. I've run the laps. I've fought. The, I've done. I'm there. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Get he starts out and he goes, look, I'm like a drink offering that's been poured out. And if you and I are not careful in our Western culture, you and I are going to come to this moment and go, man, Paul must have been tired. I mean, he, he's saying, man, I just, whoo, I am uh, worn out. And actually, that's not at all what Paul's saying. You've got to understand the sacrificial system. Every single year, Every single Jew would come to the temple, and at that moment, they would bring a lamb, they would put it on the altar, they would sacrifice that lamb so that God would ignore their sin for a year, and the next year, they'd come back, bring another lamb. Every year, they were required to do that. What they weren't required to do was bring a drink offering. A drink offering was something they brought simply to say, God, look, I just want you to know I'm grateful. I just want you to know I'm going to go beyond what you've asked me to do. I'm going to do something simply to tell you that I love you and I honor you and I want you to know that. And so they would bring a drink offering at the time that they brought their sacrifice for sin and usually be filled with wine. And so now you would burn the animal, you'd sacrifice the animal, you burn the animal, and then the priest would pour your drink offering over your sacrifice. History tells us that if you walked by the temple, you could smell the meat being cooked. You could smell the fragrance of the wine as it evaporated off. And they say, just an amazing aroma going up toward heaven. Here's what Paul's saying. I lived my life like this. I poured out every drop. I, I wanted to be sure that God got all of me. And that when I got to the end of my life, there was nothing left in here. You're not hearing a man tell you he's tired. You're, telling, you're hearing a man say he's satisfied with how he lived. I think I, I think I put it all in the hands of Jesus. It's an interesting thought. Because I guarantee you if you're in this room today and you're a baby Christian, 
you don't hold your cup the way Paul held his cup. If you're in this room and you're a baby, chances are you're, you're doing this with your drink offering. Ooh, better not give God too much. I mean, he may fail me. I, 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 I better not trust him with that because if I, if I gave him that, he might not use it very well. And Paul at this moment is simply asking the question, which way are you hold in the cup? Back to the passage. Verse 7. I have fought, next word, the. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. I think it's interesting that Paul can say, I fought the fight. I ran the race. Because I'm not sure that all of us could say that. See, I, I, I think there's any number of us in this room who could say, you ready? I fought a fight and I ran a race. I mean, I was just trying to do my best and, you know, I mean, I was living my life and I was trying to kind of honor God in what I did and I was trying to be a good person and a good father and a good mother and a, I was doing that and then stuff came and when stuff came, I tried to be as faithful as I possibly could in it and sometimes I was better than other times and sometimes I prayed more than, you know, but you know, I, you know, I fought pretty good. I ran pretty well. But you ran a race. You fought a fight. And what if, what if at the end of the day, you and I get to the end of our lives and realize, but I didn't do anything God intended for me to do? You realize Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I, I was fighting the fight that God wanted me to fight, and I was running the race that God wanted me to run. See, at the end of the day, I absolutely was clued in. I, I had figured out why I was here. And in Paul's case, his answer was, Paul, you're supposed to go start churches like you're breeding rabbits. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, Paul. That's why you're taking up space on earth. That's why God had you born, Paul, was to do that in the kingdom. So let me ask you a question. Why were you born? Why did God put you on the face of this earth? And what does it tell you? It wasn't so that you could breathe oxygen. We've got plenty of carbon dioxide without you. It wasn't so that you could buy a track home in a line of other track homes and your house could look like everybody else's house and you could pull into a garage and close the door and not talk to your neighbor. That's not why you're here. You weren't here to help Chase Bank make more profit. It's not why you were born. And so here's my question. Why were you born? What was the purpose? What was the reason God called you into existence? And what was it that he was hoping you would do? What was the fight he wanted you to fight? What was the race he wanted you to run? 
And I don't know, was it because you were the best chance that your nephew was going to have to know Jesus? Was it because you were supposed to live in your neighborhood and people on your neighborhood were suddenly going to figure out that Christ was real? I don't know. Was it, was it so that you were going to live a really tough moment and people who didn't understand God were going to see the way you live? I don't know. But my question is, do you know? Do you have any sense in your heart of this is why God put me on the face of the earth so that you can say the way that Paul said, I am running the race that God called me to run and I am fighting the fight that God wants me to fight. And and here's here's what you're just going to hear me say. I guarantee you, whatever it is, it's going to involve ministry. And guys, look, 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 look. I'm not talking about vocational ministry. I'm not saying that we all got to be preachers or we all, you know, got to come work at the church. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying that whatever God puts you on the face of this earth for, it's going to have eternity on it. And it's going to involve affecting and touching and changing the lives of people around you. He didn't put you here to move intel forward. He put you here to move the kingdom forward and make his name more famous and help people who don't know him discover him. Are you fighting the fight? Are you running the race? Are you anywhere close to doing what God put you on this earth to do? Remember, remember what Paul, run with the end in mind. And the last thing you wanna do is get to the end and find out you were running on the wrong track. Back to the passage. He says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. And now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Get the, do not miss this moment. Paul says, look, look, look. Here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm running this thing. I'm, fight, I'm doing this to win. Because at the end of my, there is a final exam, you get that right, that somewhere I'm going to stand in front of God and he's going to look over my life and he's going to say, hey, uh, you did this right, you didn't do this so well, and there's going to be a crown at the end. And Paul would say to you and me, and I'm looking for a big crown. I don't want to get to heaven and go, ooh, you see bitsy little crown. I want to get to heaven and have a serious crown that God would say to me, you were in. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. You get, you get that every one of us has a final exam. Everyone. Every one of us stands before God and he's going to issue a grade. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one more time really quick. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. It's going to be the left in your Bible. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Anybody know who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul. I'm just going to tell you, Scott still got that a lot quicker than you got that, guys. I'm just telling you, they, they were right there. Paul, okay? Paul writes 1 Corinthians. You just need to know, he is absolutely familiar with the conversation you and I are about to have. This is his conversation. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here's what he says. You ready? Starting in verse 11. No one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, 
His work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, the day, the day we all stand before God and give an account for how we've lived, the day, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. You get, you put wood, hay, and stubble in a fire, what does it do? It burns up. You put gold, silver, precious stone in a fire, and the interesting thing is it actually refines the gold and the silver. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So here's what he's saying. Get this, get this moment. Every decision you and I make, every moment that you and I live goes in a pile. It goes into one of two piles. And here Paul is saying, look, uh, there is a wood, hay, and stubble pile. And here's what you need to know about this pile. This pile's not sinful. This isn't a judgment about sin. This is a judgment about the quality with which I've lived my life. But he says, hey, look, there's a whole bunch of decisions. There's a whole bunch of things you're going to do in your life that at the end of your life aren't going to amount to much. There, when God takes a look, he's going to go, that's, that's hay. It's going to burn up. It'll be an absolutely worthless exercise in your life. Designer jeans. Designer jeans. There's nothing sinful about designer jeans. But you just need to know and you need to take into account the $200 that you're paying for lucky brand jeans, wood, hay, stubble. When you get to eternity, it won't matter that you had a little shamrock on your jeans. It won't. Okay? It doesn't mean it was sinful. Doesn't mean it was wrong to buy lucky brand jeans. It just simply means you need to keep in mind that when you and I get to the end, remember Paul? Run your life knowing the end. When you and I get to the end, lucky jeans aren't going to help. That's all it's saying. They'll be burned up. But there are certain things you can do in your life. There are certain moments you can live in your life. There's certain places you can put your resources and your talents and your abilities in your life that live past because they are eternal. That God's going to say, man, thank you. Thank you for being sacrificial with that. Thank you for doing that in my name. And I'm going to reward you in eternity for that. I, th this is, this is going to last past the 80 years of your life. This lasts for eternity. Let me give you an example. We've got women right behind that wall watching babies, changing poopy diapers, and let me just tell you, they're not changing poopy diapers because they like it. Guess why they're doing that? Because those ladies know if they watch your kids, you can come into this room and have a conversation about God. And suddenly changing diapers becomes eternal. Gold, silver, precious stone. Believe me, someday they're going to get to heaven. Jesus is going to say, thank you. Thank you for changing diapers. And all that Paul is saying is, guys, 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 every decision you and I make, everything we decide, every hour we live our life, we are either putting something in a wood, hay, and stubble pile, or we are putting something in an eternal pile. Okay, so let's just do this. We're going to do a little quiz together to see if we can figure out what belongs in what pile, okay? So hopefully this, this will be helpful. All right, let, let's say you and I come up with somebody who is hyper-talented, 
And, and maybe they're a, a pro athlete, so they've got unbelievable physical skills. And in their heart, they're deeply thankful to God. They go, man, I mean, I, I get it. I get that the only reason I have the physical skills that I have is because God blessed me. <laughs> I can run faster, jump higher than anybody on my block. And so they go off and they use those God-given physical skills. They win the Super Bowl. They end up being put in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Let's say somebody's got a talent with a guitar. And they just, they, they, they rock and they go, I know, I know this is a God-given gift. And they end up making all sorts of records and they all go gold and they make, you know, tons of money doing that. Let's say somebody's got amazing leadership. I mean, everything they touch moves forward. And so they end up leading multiple corporations over their lifetime. CEO. When they get to the end of their life, with that talent, wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. All right, so here we go. We're going to vote. How many of you say, I think maybe that's wood, hay, stubble? You're excited about that. All right. All right, how many say, no, no, no I, I think maybe that's gold, silver, precious stone. How many say, I am not raising my hand because, Lynn, you're trying to trick us. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to trick you. All right, maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. Let's say that same athlete, same amount of ability, that same musician, same amount of ability, that same corporate leader, same amount of ability. And now, in the midst of building that huge corporation, in the midst of winning the Super Bowls, they stop in that moment of notoriety and acclaim, and they say, look, I just want to say this, more important than me than winning a Super Bowl is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so now, now they leverage the fame, they leverage the accomplishment in order to make God famous. But what if that musician in that moment says, look, look, I just want to tell you, at the end of the day, the inspiration of what drives me in my songs is my relationship with Jesus Christ. How many say wood, hay, stubble? How many say gold, silver, precious stone? So you get the moment. Same ability, same talent, leveraged differently, has different outcome. All right, let's try this. It's a working person. They go to work every single day to provide for their family, to take care of their kids, to be able to put a house and a roof over their heads, to be able to put transportation in the carport to be able to take them on a vacation uh, every once in a while, and at the end of the day, they're just trying to do their very best. Wood, hay, stubble? Gold, silver, precious stone? Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe silver. Here's why I'm thinking that. Because we're supposed to provide for our own, right? We're supposed, to, we're supposed to take care of our kids. We're supposed to put a roof over their head. We're supposed to provide for their... So, you know, maybe. Maybe. In the process of going to work, I now find myself working 40, 50, 60 hours. Because at work, I'm getting acclaim and I'm getting noticed. And I'm about that far from the corner office and they're going to put my name on the nameplate. And so now I'm not spending time at home. I'm going to get to the next corporate rung. But I tell myself in my heart, it's so that my kids can have better. Wood, hay, stubble. Gold, silver, precious stone. So you get 
same moment, same time, lived with different motive, moves. Finances, my money. I have a gift, I have an unbelievable gift. Everything I touch, every business deal I do, Every place I work, man, I get promotions, and man, it's just better, better, better. And so I'm buying bigger houses, and I bought bigger cars, and I bought bigger boats. Wood, hay, stubble. Gold, silver, precious stone. Dude, that is so un-American of you. That's not even Chandler of you. You know that, right? What if, as I earn that money, I realize that it's a stewardship from God and I decide to honor God with my money? So I'm still buying nice cars, I'm still buying a nice house, but I've decided to be sure and honor God with a portion of my income in order to let Him know I know it came from Him. Wood, hay, stubble? Gold, silver, precious stone. You get the moment. Every decision you make, every moment you live is building a pile. And when this begins to sink in, you are suddenly going to start going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what pile does that build? What, what pile does that decision move forward in my life? Because guys, 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 look, look, here's the deal. And We've all got a wood, hay, stubble pile. I'm not telling you that we have to eliminate. It's impossible to eliminate this pile. You and I are going to buy cheeseburgers from In-N-Out. It's going to go in wood hay stubble. It is. It's not about eliminating. And, and here's the deal. You and I have things that we have to, I, all of us have to buy a car. You get that, right? And, and a car probably qualifies for the wood part. You know, it's, it's, it's not that bad a thing, and we all got to have it. But you just got to know at the end of the day, that car is wood hay stubble. That at the end of the day, there's nothing eternal about that car. Which is why every time you and I go, we've got to re-examine the pile and say, hey, whoa, 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 before I spend that money on the car, before I tell God I can't afford to tithe because I need a new car, I, I better figure out how much I've leveraged to this pile. Guys, I mean, it's just you and me. This is why I drive a 10-year-old car that I haven't had a payment on for the last seven years. Because every time I come up to that moment, and I believe me, I, I drive by the same car lot you do, and I go, man, that'd be so great to buy a new car. I'm thinking Corvette, convertible. <laughs> and then I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Do I have the capacity to leverage that car payment into something that's more eternal? And I, you don't have to come up with my answer. And look, look, we've got a family in the church, and you just need to hear me say this. We've got a family in the church has tons of money. I, matter of fact, a couple weeks ago, I got a chance to go visit their house and stay there for a weekend. They've got a house over in California, and I was like, wow, this is cool. Man, they got a house like you and I are never going to have. But here's what I also know. They've been crazy generous with your church, crazy faithful in their giving. 
And so it's okay because here's the deal. Every one of us is going to end up with wood and hay and stubble piles, and every one of us is going to end up with gold, silver, precious stone, eternal. They just have to answer to God, have, we, have they leveraged enough of their God-given resource to this pile? You and I can't answer for them. You and I have to answer for ourselves. You and I have to look at our piles and say, at the end of the day, if I'm living for the end of my life, if I'm ending for when I cross the finish line, have I leveraged enough wood, hay, stubble to the other side? And guys, you get how easy this is. Remember the car that didn't mount to anything? What if you were picking up neighbor kids and taking them to Kaboom on Tuesday nights? Your car would suddenly have eternity on it, right? And, and what if at your job that right now you go, man, I'm just going here and showing up for the paycheck, but what if at your job you decided I'm going to be the very best employee they have at all of Intel or at all of Chase Bank? I'm going to be the best employee so that when they come to me and say, hey, man, you're remarkable. What's going on? You go, hey, I'm just doing this under the Lord. You change the eternity of that job. I worked at a freight dock while I was going to Bible college. I'm just going to tell you, a freight dock, not a very Christian environment. Do we agree on that? And uh, there's me and one other Christian. So how do you think they treated us on the freight dock? It was called Embarrass the Preacher Boy. That's what the game was. And yet, Dave and I, working on that freight dock, evenings trying to get through Bible college, said, we're going to be the best employees that they've ever seen at Side Motor Freight. We're going to load trucks faster. We're going to load them cleaner. We're going to not steal anything from them. We're going to be the best testimony for Jesus we can on a freight dock, loading boxes. And we'd be sitting in there, and we'd pray. We'd pray and say, God, please put one of the other guys in here to help us pack the truck, because we're going to witness to them while they're stuck in the truck with us. Nine months later, the foreman came walking up to Dave and I after work and said, hey, can I talk to you guys? We thought we were in trouble. Here's what he said. Are there any more guys at that Bible college who need a job? Because <laughs> we were winning guys to the Lord who'd been stealing from the freight dock, and now they were serving and working better. We'd showed up on time. We'd loaded our trucks with all of our hearts. Hey, guys, you realize you can take a freight dock and make it count for eternity if you do it right. So here's my question. How are your piles doing? How are your piles doing? Have you leveraged enough that you're feeling good, that you're living life for the finish line, that when you stand in front of God, you go, hey, I, th I, think, I think I did good with what you gave me. There's an interesting phrase at the end of the passage. Here it is. Let's go back to it. It's, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, it's uh, 2 Timothy. Go back there with me, 2 Timothy. Watch this because it's so fun. 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> Here's what he says. Verse 8, now, now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, on the day of the final exam. And not to me only, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Isn't that an interesting phrase? And you go, whoa, 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 what, 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 what did that have to do with the other part? You get that the next event, the next thing happening on our Christian calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. That, that all of us who are Christians, 
At some moment, Jesus is going to come back to this earth. He promised us this when he left. And a thing called the rapture is going to happen. So all of us who are Christians are going to get caught up in that moment, taken out of this world. And then the world's going to go into seven years of just darkness. God's going to say, okay, for everybody who doesn't know me, doesn't trust me, doesn't want to follow me, seven years, do whatever you're going to do because it's going to get ugly. But you and I are going to be gone. And here's the crazy part. The Bible says it comes like a thief in the night that you and I, none of us have any idea when Jesus is going to come back in the rapture. It could happen at any moment. Here's what Paul's saying. If you really believe that, if you believe that Jesus could come back tomorrow, you wouldn't be saying, hey, you know, someday I'll start putting stuff on this side. Maybe when I'm 50, I'll change the pile. If you really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, you'd be making sure this pile looked good right now. What if, what if, let's, let's say I go off and do some wacky Bible research and I, and I come back to you and I say, hey, I promise you, Jesus is coming back in a year. I haven't done that. I'm just, I haven't done that. But what if I could? What if I could say to you today, I figured it out and Jesus is coming back in 12 months. You've got 12 months left to fix the piles. What would you do? Would you be doing some major shifting? Would you be doing some major reconfiguring of your life? That's exactly what Paul's asking right here. Are you living as if you have limited time to build that pile? And what if, what if today you and I left this place understanding the conversation, understanding that Paul said, look, this is the best conversation I've ever had. This is the golden nugget for your life. And what if you and I left this room today and we said, look, 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 I'm going to shift the piles. I'm going to live the next 12 months as if I really did believe Jesus was coming back and I needed to make sure enough of this pile got to this pile before he came back. What if you lived a year like that? Chances are, chances are that'd be the best year of your life. I've got a feeling you'd be in small groups this year. I've got a feeling you'd be picking up the neighbor kids and bringing them to church this year. I've got a feeling we'd be tithing this year. If we were living this year, thinking of the end. Let's pray. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and just do some honest self-reflection and just ask yourself this question. Am I okay with the piles? And guys, you get, you don't answer to me. It's not, it's not, you don't have to live your pile the way I live my pile. I'm just simply saying, if you're running the race looking to the end, if you get that someday you cross that finish line and you're going to stand before God and he's going to evaluate the piles, are you happy with your piles? Are you running with the end in mind? And if in honest reflection, in honest moment, you go, Lynn, I got to be honest. If, if, if we're going to call it done today, I'm probably in trouble. I'm probably on the wrong end of this conversation. Then fix the piles. And whatever it is, because I guarantee you there's something that came to your mind. There's something that God spoke to your heart and said, boy, if you would put that on my side, if you would leverage that into the kingdom for me, that'd be a big deal to my heart. I'd be thrilled to see you do that. Do that.
Do that. Some of us that are more bold and more courageous, live this year as if it was the last year. Live this year as if Jesus was coming back at the end of the year and build your piles accordingly. That'd probably change your whole life. Paul says this is the best conversation I could have with you if you want to live a legendary life for Jesus. Work on the piles. Dear Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to live with the end in mind. Help us, help us to already be figuring out what we want people to say about us that we leave behind, but more than that, what we want you to say when we stand in front of you on that day about our piles. God, help us to run the race. Help us to live our lives for the very purpose and things that you put us on this earth for. God, help us to be a drink offering. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave this place adjusting piles. So here's, here's the plan. Some of us need prayer. You need to meet with somebody. We've got prayer warriors going to be down here at the front. They will talk with you. They will process with you. They will pray with you. Some of us just need to get up and go start adjusting piles. And so as you head out that door, there's a harvest festival table. I'm thinking you could do eternity on Friday night. You and I could follow the example of Scott Still and Santan and do that really, really well. Some of us need to go sign up for small groups. Some of us need to open up our house for junior hires to come trash it every Tuesday night for Bible study. That'd be eternity in our house. You and I need to figure out how to move the piles. So here's what we do. Stand up. Get ready. Go. Go.